Well, Blake's not here. It's that you know what? I should come up with a I should pithy come up, rhyme. Well, I should come up with the what I do when you're not here, which is Oh yeah. This is Products of Grace. Today a podcast I have by Mercy Hill Church. With me today I have Don, Don and then I've got to give a huge list of things that I disagree with Blake about, but I don't disagree with Blake about much. I told Beth yesterday that Blake and I agree on 97% of things, and the other 3%, he's wrong. <laughs> What's the 3%? You had to I have no it. clue. You have no idea? No, I, it's, a, it's a total joke. I don't really know where we have massive agreements. Disagreements, sorry. Massive agreements. <laughs> just burn this whole thing to the ground. <laughs> We just stay disagreeing. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I'm trying to think of one. Preaching calendars. Uh, yeah, probably so. The yeah. question is probably administrative things. Well, I don't think that's disagreement that as much as ineptness. <laughs> it's like this isn't disagreement. I'm bad at it and don't care. <laughs> Can we get this going, dude? It's your show, Blake. We need to come up with a song for Blake. I'm not going to sing a song on this. I never do that. I'm not doing it. Like to this tune. These kid's having a great time. Darren needs to meme this with Blake's face on it. It's done. Blake! And now it's done. <laughs> and now it's done. And now it's done. I love this song. Commissioned. What do you like about Corn? I'm so glad people don't send me stuff like that. It has the juice. It's my favorite that people don't send me that, that kind of stuff because they know that I hate that kind of humor. You want me to start them? Yeah. Hey, hold on. Drew, count us down loud. Five, four, three, two. Welcome to Products of Grace, a podcast by Mercy Hill Church. My name is Lawson Harlow, and with me today I have Don Terrell and... Blake's not here. Blake's not here. But in honor of Blake, I wanna I wanna do something really quickly. Okay. Mm. 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 But he did find his voice. Like I would really last, enjoy I know, right? last, last episode. Week. I was like, this guy's cutting out over yeah. here. Get it, boy. He does that from time to time. He does. I really do enjoy think? it. I just sat here and was like, this is my favorite podcast we've ever recorded. My you, brain's off. I'm just coasting over here. Do you think it's us? Who? You think it's us? That but yeah, he's always said that you and I are like on this, we live on this wavelength. And, oh, fair. you know, he said that before and it's he'll be like, oh yeah, I just want to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, he just says, mm. we communicate on a different wavelength. Yeah. He's also, he's probably by and large on the normal. Yeah, that's like, exactly right. Like it's not a compliment. Yeah. One day. We were in the pastor's parlor, and Don and I were saying the same things two different ways, but we wouldn't <laughs> admit that we were saying the, the same thing two different ways. And Blake said, Dad, I hate it when y'all fight. This <laughs> 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 is Sunday morning. <laughs> and I'm like, let's not do this. All right, we're, we're, we're done. <laughs> we're done. <laughs> Those are the worst fights, you know? The ones where... Sunday morning before church? Have you ever been a part of one or witnessed one? The only ones I've ever been in is in the pastor's parlor. No, I'm saying like mom and dad were never, no. never, ever. You never, no. you never had a Sunday mm -hmm. morning meltdown I actually before church. Sincerely, do not think that my mother and my stepfather have ever had a fight. Goodness. No, no. I think the joke. You, seriously, the joke in my house. You think it just happens like no. 
It, it just really never don't. happens. So the the joke in all of in my siblings is that they have only gotten in one fight huh. in the entire t- in the entirety of their marriage, and it was which side of the bun do you put mayonnaise on? Wow, that was the most heated the top, fight they've ever gotten. The top in. one, you go mustard on the bottom. Oh, see, I would disagree. They'd both go on the bottom. So if I'm building a cheeseburger, yeah, the bun, the bottom bun is mustard, pickle, onion, then the meat and cheese, and then on the top bun it's mayonnaise. You do cheese on the bottom? No, no, no. I'm saying on top like, of the okay, top sorry. of the burger. Got you, got you. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Because technically, the cheese it has scientifically to, it has to down. No, so a fat against the cheese protects the bun. From cohesion to the cheese. That's real. Have you ever tried to redress the bun? Yeah, you can't. If the cheese isn't t- touching it, you can't. But you can if it's mayonnaise. That's fair. <laughs> yes. That's fair. And I want to propagate. <clears throat> we really need to have a diagram, a video, where we fold the cheese in. Oh, because you do, you do two pieces of cheese. No, I do right. the American cheese, and then I take each corner of the square and uh-huh. bring it to the middle. Which so makes a, a smaller square, square, but it's a double cheese. Right. I always see, and I do two I do two of the American cheese, where it's like the square's this way, and then I lay it somewhat uh, angled. So you're trying to get so the you, round. Yeah, so you've got the six. But you lose all of that. As it melts, points. you're only mm-hmm. ending up no, with. No, no. It drapes. Come to your mic. It drapes. Hmm. It drapes around the edges. So I always do it two envelops. pieces of cheese and do that, and it it's fantastic. It envelops the patty. Yes. What sort of beef do you buy when you're well, making a hamburger? So recently, what's I've, the mix? Well, so hold on. Okay. So normally I buy eighty twenty, mm-hmm. but my um, my dad and my stepmom gave us some um, beef because they bought a cow, mm-hmm. and so they gave us some of the ground. They gave us a ton of meat, but the ground beef in particular. I've been making burgers out of that. I have no clue what the ratio is. You don't it's, know. It's the you best. The ratio it's is? the best burger I've ever had in my life. Wow. Grass-fed beef, you I think? guess so. I don't you know, know, but it's it's amazing. What, what makes it amazing? Is it... No, there's a different flavor. Is it a different texture, too? It's a, Yes. So, like, you know when you buy ground beef in the, the store? Squigglies. Yeah, I hate the squigglies. You hate the squigglies? These don't have the squigglies, but I'm telling you, they're, they're per- these are perfect burgers. Huh. When's the last time you made a burger? Last week. I've, I've made burgers once a week for the last couple of months. So, you know what I just started? A diet. You know what it's called? It's hard, hard seventy five. Hard seventy five. Hard seventy five. What are you reading? Uh, yeah. So I got out one of the books because part because part of the part of that yeah, is it's you have ten to read pages of nonfiction. Page. Okay, it's Saint Augustine's work on the Trinity. Oh, uh, and he's funny because he's like evidently those manuscripts got stolen and they got printed without is it his De Trinitas. I think I don't know. I'll take a picture of it. It's called On the Trinity in English. Yeah. But I was, yeah, I read but evidently it. like his manuscripts got stolen <clears throat> and they got put into publication and like so. Anyways, then he was never actually prepared to release them. But then that that motivated him to go back and edit the work and then actually publish them. Fair. And he goes through it. Like the funny part is in the intro, like he goes through it and he's like, I don't know, dude. He's so f- smart, but he's saying like, Hey, don't be uncharitable with me. And if we disagree. Like, don't call me a heretic. You know, it's like he's going through and like laying out that. the ground rules. We should, of like, we should all do that more. Right, right. Well, I thought since like the current evangelical the current Trinity conversation. Yeah, it's like hype. Do I, you want to know what my diet is? Can I share I'm it? trying to find my Augustine on the Trinity. I have the whole book, but I can't. My oh, here it is. On the Holy Trinity. 
Yeah, it's been really good. Anyway, okay. I read Is that it. the work? Yeah, I read it. I read it turn it around three or four years it. ago. It's on it's on Lagos, is what I, I have. I want to see the book cover. It's it's just all um mm. Nicene and post Nicene fathers. It's not even oh Mike, Mike's not even screaming in the paper. I did too. Dude, it's like five five turns. I tried, you weren't here. Leaning over. You weren't here, bro. You weren't here. <laughs> yeah, on the Trinity. I have highlights from this. Can I tell you about my diet? Sure. Sorry. 75 days. You ready for this? I'm ready. 10 pages of a nonfiction book for 75 days. Two workouts a day. Sounds terrible. 45 minutes each. One of them has to be outside. I'm okay with that. I like outside better. I anyway. split wood today. For the last three days, I've split wood, hand split wood for 45 minutes. It's amazing. I'm like, out of like wood you're now. With an axe. Yeah, with a yeah. maul, eight pound maul. Fun. Does that feel good? Uh, it is the most. Th- when you hit, when you hit a round of wood, yeah, and it makes that beautiful split thump. Yeah, I feel that. Like you've sunk it, and yeah. like it's amazing, dude. It is literally a healthy. Like I want to build a log house now. Just down a bunch of trees. <laughs> I'm serious. I, I, I believe you. All right, so then we're eating healthy. So two workouts, 45 minutes a day. And uh, fasting from libations. Gotcha. 75 days. Okay. Oh, and a gallon of water a day. The gallon of water a day is a game changer. What? So why do you say that? I just feel better all the time. And really? it also, yeah, I just, so I... I've been doing that for a month and a half now, probably. What motivated you? Well, it was one of the things that Landon, the guy who has been doing personal training with me, has told me to do. It was the first thing he told me to do. And so I started doing that. And I just, I mean, I probably drink, I may drink almost two gallons a day. That's, but you got to be careful. Why? You can drink too much water and strip your body of electrolytes. Huh. Be careful. Maybe I should slow down on that. Maybe so. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so in honor of Blake's absence, we have a guest-written episode. Oh, okay. These aren't my notes. These are somebody else's notes. I'm scared. Are you? So, did you already do? What are we doing today? What's happening? Well, there's just a lot happening. happening? Blake's not here. So, Don, what are we doing today? So, today, what are we doing today? Today. Sorry. We will discuss the title of today's episode is Corn, Crowns, and Martyrs. Corns, okay, Crowns, and Martyrs. Do we already get the corn part? I don't know. There's the Corn Kids song. That's what? that song I was playing. You oh. want to hear it again? No, I don't. I really don't. Yeah, I think we should. I really don't want to hear it again. But I don't want to hear it. It's Blake. <laughs> Drew Thomas is singing this in the back yeah, of the room Charles right now, by the way. Our producer's moving his head back and forth. And I'm sitting here uncomfortably. <laughs> Look at this thing. I love it. I don't know. That that was sent to me. Yeah. So I thought the fun part would be that you could guess as we move through this who wrote these notes. Okay. So the topic today. Okay. Is centered on two central questions. Okay. What are the crowns? Are there different crowns? 
We're talking about like what the, do they okay. mean? Are they physical? Why do they matter? And then the other question is where's the other question? Stemming from the first question. Oh, no, no, no. Hold on. Let's go to the the second question is I'm assuming that it's how does martyrdom grow the church? Oh, uh, blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. <laughs> James one twelve. You want to read that? One moment. One moment. I have to get to the appropriate. I feel like the liturgy got straight up broken. It was. I'm my not fault. even done an idiom. It was my fault. You what said, is happening, John? What one twelve? Blake's not here. We've already moved into the subject matter. You said one twelve. Yes, James one twelve. Oh, you said John. Yeah, James one twelve. I was like, I don't think that makes sense, but James one twelve makes a lot of sense. What do you think our idiom should be? I don't know. Goodness. Oh, there's a few in here. You're just going to pick one? Uh, I don't like any of those. Um, I well, have another Welcome one. to the life of the party. I like that. You want that one? No, let's just do that one. Or we could do this one. It says, says a buddy of mine sent me this. Are you aware that when you study something intently, you are pouring over it? Yes. P-O-R-I-N-G. Yep. Not P-O-U-R-I-N-G. Over it. Oh. He says, I was not aware of this, but it made me think of y'all's discussion of idioms because pour over versus Is this drippy dog over. then? No, no. Okay. This is the pediatric dentist. Oh. So every time, every time we... Say pouring over scripture. Every time I hear the phrase pouring over scripture, it makes me think of the time that Beth Moore <clears throat> looked at somebody and said, I've been pouring over the scriptures on my knees long before you were born. Oh. I know, right? And it's just like, terrible. and now now I want to believe that she used it as pouring, the yes. other pouring, not the real pouring. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and that's just me being ungracious. Yeah. <laughs> just like you want to raise your hand in the yeah. audience and go, spell that. Can for you me. spell that? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So with that, Lawson. <laughs> <laughs> Let's pour over these notes. What about All right. that? You want me to read? Yeah, to read James, James one twelve. You kind of blessed text, is the man, huh? Blessed is the man. Yeah, but this text kind of you kind of need the first couple of verses of James. All right, lay it out. Yeah. Well, no, we'll just do it this way. Okay. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. When he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. That's you the want text. the next verse? Do you want me to Revelation two ten. Yeah, I mean, there's just there's a couple of, um, and this is in regard to the yeah Church of Smyrna. Um, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw um, some of you into prison that you may be tested, and for ten days you will receive tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. All right, and then Second Timothy four eight. You said 4-8? Yeah. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on, this, on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Mm. So, what are the crowns? Are there different crowns? What do they mean? Are they physical? Why do they matter? I've heard you speak on this before. This will be interesting. 
Yeah, I'm trying to. Um, so the three crowns mentioned, I would actually say, are all the one and the same. Okay. Um, I wouldn't make a distinction against them, but I think it it just depends, right? There's there's the concept of rewards, right, for those who have persevered, like Romans 2 says, that he will reward those based upon what they've done. John 5 says something very similar to those who have done good will be raised to everlasting life. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what you're really getting at here. We're looking at the reward for those who have been raised unto everlasting life based upon the fact that they have repented and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ in their life. And we can, we can obviously play that all the way back to eternity if we'd like down to the, down to God's electing purpose. But, you know, we do, we do say that those who repented and believed will receive the crown of life. The crown of life, I I would say is, is one and the same with the crown of righteousness that's mentioned in, uh, second Timothy four, eight, Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, not only to me, but to, but also to all those who have loved his appearing. And so I think you're dealing with the one and the same thing. One is eternal life that is that is the end, if you will, of the perfect righteousness that he crowns you with, the, the crown of righteousness, the declaration of it, perhaps. What do you think about Revelation 19.12? Look at that one. His eyes are like, oh, this is, okay. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. Do you think the diadem, isn't the diadem, well, let's look. Diadem crown. Yeah, it's the diadem crown. It's mentioned in 12, is it not, not the Is it not the jewels on the crown? Many diadems? Why do I think that? I, I don't know, but I think I think it, it says the diadem crown. I think oh, it says a diadem. This is from Rome. A diadem is a type of crown, specifically yeah. an ornamental headband worn by monarchs and others as a badge of royalty. Yeah, and so Jesus's crown of crowns, right? Is the picture? He, yeah, is that he he possesses all of them, which is a demonstration of his lordship over all things. And so, where we would say. Um, like we receive cra- a crown, he receives many crowns, many diadems as a demonstration that he is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You know, Psalm two, the Lord has set his King in Zion. Um, and, and you know, I think that's a, a statement of that. Do you think it signifies reigning with Christ? Oh, I think most certainly. So you've said before to me, like we'll cast our crowns at yeah. his feet. What did you say before? No, I said, so there's... You'd be silly not to know that you would be able to pick them up again. Yeah, and so, yeah, so if I'm thinking about crowns, as far as I know, and I could be, and if if I'm wrong, by all means, please, uh, you can can email Don at (laughs) um, mercyhillob.org. But, yeah, so the way that I see the the crowns being cast down at the the feet of the Lord, which is, if I'm not mistaken, Revelation 5. Um, I could be mistaken there, though. Um, but the the elders cast their crowns before him, and as they cast their crowns before him, they proclaim um, worthy is the lamb. And and so in the midst of that, the statement is like, or the argument that's often made is that all the crowns we receive, we will simply lay at his feet. <clears throat> I, that's the, that's the text we go to for that. I I don't know why that why that essentially means that we will not enjoy the rewards that he has given to us. Mm-hmm. 
And that's kind of the that's kind of the dynamic there for me. Like as I'm thinking about the crowns that he's given, he's given the crown of life, the the crown of eternal life, the crown of righteousness. Do they all belong to him? Of course they all belong to him. But he has bestowed them upon us for our use, meaning that we are to enjoy them. And I think I go back to the way that the Lord it's Revelation 4:10. Oh, the off. 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, what did I say it was? 10? Yeah, you read it already. They cast their crowns before him saying, worthy are you, O Lord, our Lord and God to receive glory and honor and mm-hmm. power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. And so the concept is that these elders are throwing down their crowns, and that's essentially the disposition of every individual that there's, they're throwing their crowns down before the feet of Christ, which I think is primarily representative. Like you're, the, the statement that's being made there is, you are the king of kings and you are the lord of lords. All that we have in our reigning is because you yourself are reigning. Mm-hmm. But I still think that that reigning with Christ is a very true and real thing, and the crowns that he bestows are crowns that will be enjoyed. So I don't think I don't think your entrance into heaven. This is what I think a lot of people get kind of as a perspective. Your entrance into heaven is here is a crown of righteousness, a crown of life, and then like you you go you almost go in steps of like here's your here's your crown, and then you're going to walk by the throne of grace, and you're going to take off your crown, and you're going to cast it at his feet, and you're going to keep walking. Right. I think it's a demonstration of that which Christ has provided. It's very much like the Spirit of God indwells us. It's not as though he wants the spirit of God back from mm-hmm. us. Instead, it's it's a gift to his people mm-hmm. to demonstrate, I would argue, to demonstrate his his sealing of them. Mm. So I think I think those things would remain. I, I I get the reason why someone wants to make the argument of you'll cast your crowns and keep walking because they are all due him. Of course they're all due him. But it's it's much like even the Romans twelve perspective of being a living sacrifice is it's like yes they're all do him and now I'm living in light of the gifts that he's provided and I'm going to walk in them faithfully so I'm going to live eternally I'm going to live righteously before him and I'm going to do so based upon his strength to his praise to his glory and and I also think about the way that we would enjoy the crown there would be free from all sinning so like if you were to give if you were to give a Christian that crown here below. Before the body is raised, before it's trans, before it's it's translated, it's glorified. Then we would still conduct ourselves with at least some tinge of sinfulness. But as we enter into paradise, as we enter into heaven with Him, sin will be done away with altogether, and we will be able to wear that crown without any self glorification or exaltation. I'm looking at the verse that says that no one would take your crown. Where is that at? Oh, here it is. Revelation 3.11, I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. Yeah, take it from you. Yeah, and, and, and again, we're in, you said 3.11? Yeah. Yeah, so even here, you're looking at, um, I'm coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. In verse 12, the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the, um, in the temple of my God. And, and again, we're looking at, as you're looking at these chapters, or these, yeah, really these chapters, but these letters to these churches, is there somewhat of a pattern of like, here's something good, here's something bad, repent, and you will be given this if you conquer, right? The one who conquers. And so he's warning them of saying, don't, don't hear, I think, specifically in regard to Philadelphia. He says this, um, uh, because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you um, from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell in them. I am coming. I am coming soon. Hold fast 
what you have so that you so that no one may seize your crown. And so he's preparing them for the tribulation that is to come. And in the midst of that tribulation, he's saying, don't sell anything. Don't give away your crown for anything. I think it's, it kind of harkens back to um, Jacob and Esau. Mm. Don't sell your birthright. Mm. It, it's like endure in the midst of this. Do you think that like it's a, it, like all of those faith, those essentially the commands to be faithful to those seven churches in Revelation seem to all, in my mind, signify the pr- the prize. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I, like yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't think anything is like necessarily different. I think it's just a different way of communicating the prize of faithfulness. Yes, which they I think, absolutely like, they are. I think uh, Paul in First Corinthians nine twenty four. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. So it seems to be like all of the like the crown signifies the prize, which is. Eternal life, yeah, righteousness, like being, all, yeah, being under His crown, right? Yeah. Like His rule under and His authority, reign. right? Yeah, yeah. And so, to me, the motif of laying all of those crowns at His feet signify that they all bow to a greater, you know, what I'm saying to a Absolutely. greater King that Which bestows think, the riches of yes. ruling and reigning with Him. Yes, and this is the whole point of the the twenty four elders because I think all of us would look to the twenty four elders. Which there's debate on who they are. I think the safe assumption is the twelve apostles <laughs> and the twelve heads of the tribes of Jacob. Um, you know what I've also pondered before that John saw himself. No, the twelve judges. Oh, yeah, interesting. Yeah. Um, so, regardless, I think all of us would look at the twelve that are gathered around the throne as men. Right? We would look at them and they and we would say. Uh, there is a unique dignity about those individuals, like God used them in mighty ways. But nonetheless, even then, the crown that they are wearing is a crown that was bestowed upon mm-hmm. them based on grace. They demonstrate their submission to Christ and, and their taking off of of their crowns and laying them before them. But But I do think that we miss that we're looking at a moment in Revelation, not necessarily a perpetual cycle there. Right. So in Hard re- agree. Yeah, and so in Revelation 4, where it makes reference to that, you're looking at you're looking at the the Lord coming in and opening the scroll. Yeah. Like this is a this is a monumental moment. Yeah. I would argue that mimics or that mirrors the occurrences of Christ on the cross. Um, that he's coming in, that he's opening the scroll based upon uh, based upon the blood that he has offered. And so I, I think that's I think an it's, important it is point. these that testify of me. And like, I believe there's a split on the 12 and the 12, 12 being from the Old Testament and 12 being from the New. And I think all of them, therefore, testify that he is worthy, right, to be called the king. Like, I think that's what it's really signifying is that, uh, what does it say in, is it Acts, that all the prophets foretold, like, of the coming Messiah? Is it Acts I'm saying? Like even David, David foresaw and spoke about the resurrection oh, of Christ. Oh, it's, it's Acts too. It's Peter's sermon. Yeah, it's like yeah. all of these who foretold of the coming of the righteous one, right. you murdered. Yeah. And I think in that picture, I don't think it's a perpetual cycle. I think it is a signifying that those who behold the one on the throne cast their th- their crowns yeah. at his feet saying he is the one. Right. The one in whom we have laid hold of, the one who our eyes have seen and we testify that the scriptures bear witness as well as as do we that he is the king of kings. Yeah. So I think in that sense, like 
we would do the same thing with our crown, right? That we would, in the end, lay it at his feet, signifying right. that it is he is the king of kings. Like, yeah. No one can supplant that. No, no. Role. And the last one who tried didn't end well for him. Yeesh. Um, hey, so I think we've been heavy-handed, or I have. With? With the whole thought around the devil. Because here, like in James, this is like a sidebar, James one twelve, blessed is the man who re- remains steadfast under trial. Yeah. And I was reminded of this verse this morning, well, this week, here lately, where I think it is applicable to the Christian life, and I wanted to get your take on it. Resist the devil. And he will flee from you. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no we don't. So you're I saying. I think it's like, yeah. I think the devil's got bigger problems than me. You know what I'm saying? I think that's a, yeah. I think that's a healthy thought. That is a healthy thought. That is a healthy. Thought. But I do think that like there is external there are spiritual forces at work. Yeah, like external temptations, right? That we war against that don't always originate inside myself. You know what I'm saying? Like yes. I, I can't explain this, right? No, no, no. But, but like all of a sudden, I think like that scripture is really healthy. Yeah. To then say, you know, I just wonder like how many men or just people in general have suffered under perpetual temptation and and sinning, right? And we right. can name a litany of sins. Sure. And I just think in those moments, like when you have nothing else at your disposal, right? There's no white knuckling it. I don't know. I just, I felt like, you know, in the past, like I probably thought a little too lighthearted around the the devil being, and I think James like mentions this here from our outline where it says, uh, what is it, James one twelve? Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Yeah. And I think even then, like, sometimes our trial is to resist the devil and he will flee from you. Yeah, no. I, I think that's just a healthy scripture to, like, have on the... Well, we never... So we, we don't deny that there are multiple enemies. Right, and that's what we have right. to be careful of. And so I think that we we have to be able to say, right, that that we should not give into the flesh as in this is a, this is a temptation that is coming from inside of me. Right. Right. An inward temptation that is based upon the fact that we're fallen, that all of our faculties have been corrupted by sin. So that's where we would say, this is the flesh. Right. But here's, here's where I would make the distinction, right? I think that the majority of sins that exist in our life are probably just evidence of our fleshliness remaining. Hard agree. But we don't ever deny that there is no spiritual warfare. Right. Like, it, it, there, I think there probably are some that would go, to, go that far, but we, don't, we, don't, we must never do that. There, there's obviously spiritual warfare that takes place in our age. We do need to understand that Satan is not is not omnipotent, omnipresent. Right. And so we're not dealing right. with a being who is able to tempt, for instance, you know, you're you're across the table from me right now and I've got a friend in France, right? Right. So like Satan is not simultaneously tempting you and him. Right. He doesn't have that ability. Right. Now we would we would affirm that there are demonic forces Legions. in the world. Le- yeah, yeah. So we could And to the spirit of disobedience which is now at work in the sons of the devil. And so you, like, I would, like, I would say even, I don't know, like, I would say, like, is the, I I think it's a healthy thought to say resisting the devil is that we do not war against flesh and blood, right? Right. That we war against. The spirit, spiritual things. Yeah. And so, like, and sometimes those can manifest themselves. And we are armed with weapons of spiritual warfare. Yeah. And so I think when you're faced with either a physical confrontation Right. Where it is a temptation from exterior, not interior, that we don't war against flesh and blood. And then what 
what powers do we have? And I think we definitely have the word, right? And so yeah. it's just recalling to mind like the appropriateness of that verse, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Yeah. And it's like, Oh, and then there's also the reality that he's prowling around like a roaring lion. Right. And this is all, th- this is written post-resurrection from the dead. Right. Right. So this, this is written post-atonement, post-the-resurrection of Christ from the dead. Yeah, he knows his time is short. Yeah, absolutely. And so I, w- I, would, I would argue that that, that that mode, for lack of better terms, is still where he is today. Mm-hmm. Right? He's disarmed. He's defeated. And, I, and I've got to read Josh Howard's book, The Exorcism of Satan, which is recently come out he you made a video he kind i know i just haven't been able to read it yet he kindly sent it to me but what we have to say is that josh i'm reading 10 pages a day of a nonfiction. is that (laughs) is that he is is that satan is bound right he he is he is he is the strong man that has been bound he is no longer deceiving the nations in the sense that they are with that that the gospel that they are blinded to the gospel like there's aside from just their natural blindness, I'm saying that unique blindness that he kind of set out, and so like we, we we need to see him as a disarmed foe. All right, so the crown is a prize, and one who is being plundered. Yes. Okay. So the crown though is a prize, right? And should it be a motivation? Yes. Why? But so. I think, much of, I think much of my thoughts around the Christian life yeah. is just stagnation and... I don't need to pursue holy things because all holy things have been given to me. Yeah, or just like, I don't know, there's not an active... You know what I'm saying? It's just like, okay, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, when it's actually right. active. It's a pursuit. Yeah, it's a pursuit. Yeah, I think, I think, um, I think we do well to pursue uh, passionately... Uh, the good things that God offers, right? So I think that one of the dangers, and I have to be really, I want to be really careful and precise here. I think one of the dangers of, of apprehending appropriately and rejoicing in the righteousness of Christ bestowed, mm-hmm. meaning that the gospel is without reservation. It's that I have, my sin has been paid for through mm-hmm. Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, and he has bestowed upon me perfect righteousness. Mm-hmm. There is nothing that I am going to do to add to that righteousness so that I will be made um, worthy of heaven, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to do a work that means that I'm going to get in. And there's, there's, some, there's some debate around this recently on um, is final justification by your works um, or is final justification through the works of Christ. We affirm that justification at its application and in finality is based totally on the works of Christ. Nothing I'm going to do is going to affect the salvation that God has provided for me. Mm-hmm. Nothing, right? Perfect righteousness has been provided. But I think it's reasonable for us in the midst of that truth to say, I want to pursue righteousness. I want to pursue obedience. And I, and I think we're safe to say even, I want to pursue reward in my Christian life where I want to honor the Lord in all that I do, knowing that he rewards those who seek him, hmm. as Hebrews 12 says. And so, again, this is, not, this is not a pursuit of a deeper justification. It's just a pursuit of obedience. And I think, yes, I think the scripture testifies to rewards that are given to those who who obey the Lord Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. who who serve him. I don't and, and I'll say, I don't know exactly how we speak of this. Mm-hmm. Like I, I I don't know how to parse it. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to lay it out, mm-hmm. but there's clear there's clear I think he's condescended. 
yeah to give us <clears throat> this information glimpses of these yeah. realities yeah, no question. in finite but again, examples again i'm not saying that we do that we work for righteousness in the means for the for the purpose of justification i'm saying that there's a clear statement there's clear statements all throughout scripture you want me to read one yeah here's first timothy yeah four eight well four seven b and eight Rather, train yourself for godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise mm-hmm. for the present life and also for the life to come. Yep. Which I think, like, that promise and the value in the life to come is exactly what Paul was mentioning in the prior text, which is those who run the race receive the prize. Mm-hmm. And how do you run the race more effectively? other than to train your body, right? And then yeah. he draws a correlation into bodily training has some value. Now consider it in the same way spiritually for running the spiritual race, yeah. train yourself in godliness. Yeah. Because I think like we yeah. all want to compete. You know what I'm saying? For the, yeah. I mean, I want to be careful with that word, but at the same time. But even like, then you see, you see him say, run the race with perseverance. Yeah. I'm running in a way that I myself will not be disqualified. Right. Right. So there's a pursuit of those things. And I, I, I do want to be careful, right, of saying there's there's a crown, there's a reward. I think I think that's just it's just really clear, it seems, throughout scripture when reward is mentioned, that it's that there is a there is reward given to people, right? Well, there's even you say text, heaven would be a reward. He, and, heaven I mean yeah, heaven so like, is a category, right? Yeah, that we yeah, would say certainly. is where joys exist forevermore, right? Right. And that right. is like I think we I think we make a mistake when we think of heaven in carnal terms, right? Right. Where it's not eternity in his presence. Right. You know, and so I think in the same way, like you can think about the prize and the crown in carnal terms. Right. But I think if you understand them spiritually, they all result in the praise, glory, and honor of Jesus Christ, right? Yeah. And so I, I just think like for me that is a helpful thought around motivation, like never departing from that the work is completely finished right but i think we run the race with endurance and he gives us plenty of motivation to do these things but so here's here's a text here's a text why do people have problems with this um well so first there there is there is a heresy that read your text first no because i want to address that first there is a heresy that that if misunderstood, you can draw from. And the heresy is that you are justified through the finished work of Christ, but at final justification, you will be justified by your own individual working. Hmm. So that's that's a heresy. Right. Um, many have accused John. Thankfully. Yeah, thankfully, <laughs> right? Because, and this, this, God forbid it yeah. be true. Well, this is Galatians. I mean, right. you know, if you, if you say, oh, I'm justified by this, and I'm going to pursue this by flesh, I'm going to arrive at justification based upon my own works. Yeah. You know, many have said John Piper holds to this. Huh. Um, there's a couple of others that would argue this. And so, you know, I want to hold to what hold to the heresy final justification, which is a heresy you're saying. Yeah. So, and that's where I want to, I want to use the, I want to, I want to be gracious, but I think that the issue is as far as I can tell, John Piper is going to say that you are, that that you are justified by, by faith in Christ alone. Right. But he does have a unique caveat. I'd have to pull up the quote. I'm not, I can't, I I don't want to look for it right now. But that he does have a unique caveat that he introduces where, where but in final justification, there will be a, 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 a consideration of works that is salvific in some sense. So I don't salvific know. Salvific in some I sense? So or reward no, in some sense. No, that's, he goes that's salvific. the distinction, huh. right? And so where, where I would say gladly there's reward, I have to be very cautious 
when it deals with like there's never going to be a time where I'm going to utter the words your works will will save you. The only works that will save you are the works of Jesus Christ, right? Right. right. And so rewards certainly. Um, and obviously like and this this is where I have issue. Like I and, and I'll confess this. Balancing these two things I think are pretty difficult. Uh, saying that your works will save you is not a difficulty for me. That's a no-go. But saying I'm rewarded for the works that I do, and then comparing those to the un, the the insurpassable work mm-hmm. or the insurpassable worth of knowing Christ, being in heaven, dwelling there eternally with Him, mm-hmm. it's like what what extra can I get here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's and that's what's strange to me. But but this is this is why I struggle with this because so let's listen to what First Corinthians three says. This is verse 10. I'm going to read a couple of verses. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will, will disclose it. And the day there, <clears throat> speaking of the day of the Lord, Then it goes on, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, listen to this, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Mm. And so if the working... And this is this is I I will confess, I think this is a, a point of difficulty in our understanding of of rewards. I do think we need to hold up high. I have the, the 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 surpassing worth of knowing Christ. I have the surpassing worth of dwelling in the presence of God, of truly being saved. That's I, I you give me just that. I I, I that's that that's the prize, mm-hmm. right? But then I've got language all throughout the New Testament that mentions this concept of a reward that that seems to be that's not in the exact same category of the reward of salvation itself. And so like there, 14, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So he himself, the individual, will be saved, but the work essentially will not make its way through and thus give reward. Uh, what's, the, what's the Bible verse that... Um he says, and he will place you over many provinces. You know what I'm saying? He like he draws a distinction between judging and you're essentially in the new heaven and new earth around you would be placed judging over angels? many. No, he says like you'll be, some will judge this and many. You know, there was like a, there's a disparity. I'm drawing a I'm think, on the I'm Bible thinking verse. of the parable of the talents. I think it is that. Yes, yeah, parable of talents. You looking it up? Yeah, I'm pulling it up. Sorry. So I just wonder if that, if Jesus is teaching us there around the distinction of reward in that place. Yeah, so he gives. <clears throat> um, That's going to bother me, dude. Well. So Charles, you, you know what verse I'm talking about? all right so here this is so you're looking at if you're looking at the parable of the talents the parable of talents goes straight into the final judgment 
Like it goes from one to the other pretty quickly. But he does he does clearly say here, right, that uh, then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and my and my coming. I should have received what was mine with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the mm-hmm. ten talents. For to everyone who will who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken from him and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness, in the mm-hmm. place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then he deals with the separation of the people. Um, and you've got the essentially the distinction of, um, of Lord, when did we give you right? I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I don't know if that's what you're speaking of, but I don't know. I'll have to. He says as you did the yeah. For some reason, I'm drawing a blank on the content, but I was wondering if like if that's a if that's a distinction I'm of reward. Of, yeah, I'm in thinking the end. Of you will judge. Yeah, you, you will, will judge, judge angels, angels, but over, he'll say over for this person, yes, you will, will be you. over, I will set you over. And so there seems, there seems to be in the end, like a distinction about not only ruling with him, but also over provinces or parish, you know, like there was, seems to be territory that has different scope and sizes for Obviously, are you thinking of Deuteronomy twenty-eight? No, it's in the New Testament. And Let's if you faithfully on. obey the voice, of the, the voice of the Lord, being careful to do all His commandments that I commanded you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth. Oh, I think I found it. Hold on. Sorry, I'm trying to go with you, dude. That's gonna bother me. All right, <clears throat> moving on. I'll find it in the end, and we'll talk about it next week. <laughs> <laughs> There. All right, so what's the crown of martyrdom? Do you think there is a crown of martyrdom? So this is kind of interesting because inside the crown of martyrdom language, it's drawing from James one twelve and Revelation 2.10, I believe. We're talking about Revelation 7, are we not? Well, you read that. Well, um, hold on, I'm trying to find it. Um, he no, it's Revelation 2.10, because okay. he's saying, be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. So he's saying, look at Revelation 2.10. I'm looking at it. Do not fear. What, yeah, this is what we just dealt with, yeah. The devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be mm-hmm. tested, and for mm-hmm. 10 days that you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Yeah. And then Revelation 17.6, do you want to read that? Well, I've, just on that, like, the crown of life correlates with, the if you go to the next verse in verse 11, the crown of life correlates with the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death, meaning the crown of life prevents you from entering into the second death, which is, which is hell. Mm. And so, I mean, I, th- again, I, I, I wouldn't make a distinction between the two crowns, at least there. What, what was the other text? Uh, Revelation. Goodness. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, Revelation uh, 17.6. If this may be what I was thinking. So of. this is, in a sense, that a special kind of death. I think. Yeah. So, and I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, mm-hmm. uh, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. Sorry, I lost my place. When I saw her, I marvelled greatly. But the angel said to me, "Why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast and the seven heads and the ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was and is not, and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction." The dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book in the in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast, because it was and is not, 
and is to come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads or seven mountains on which the woman is created. Um, You're reading so much. Well, I'm trying to figure out what. So the blood of the saints, I think like that at the very top of what you just read. So she's drunk on the blood of the saints. It seems to be if you tie that back to a special kind of death. What was the verse that we just read before? Uh, um, two, the church of Smyrna that resist right. and you will re- resist unto death and you will right, receive unto a kind death, of life. And then Revelation 6.10. Yeah, Revelation 6.10 may have been the one that I was thinking of, which is dealing specifically with, uh, yeah, they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? They were, they were each given a white robe. Um, and told to rest a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. There, I mean, uh, yeah. So the so the question the, the question I think so is is the crown of life. Yeah, I would say this question actually deals less. If you're going to ask this question, I don't think we ask the question about the crown of life. I think the question we ask is, does everybody get the robe that he hands out to the mm. martyr there, or is that a uh, a robe specifically for the one who dies a death, who dies a martyr's death? Because that's what's essentially said, right? They cried out with a loud voice, "O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth?" And that's the question so do you of, is hold there a unique, to, Yeah, I was about to ask. You is that. there is there a unique reward for those who are martyred? And is it the crown of martyrdom? Yeah. Like, is there a distinct crown for that? I mean, church I, I, church history seems to uphold that. Yeah. So it's just an interesting, like... So the, so the question is, what's the crown? But if we go to the concept we've already mentioned in regard to reward, the question is, aside from the crown mm-hmm. itself, right? In mm-hmm. a, in a, is, there, is there a reward for martyrdom? If we, if we uphold that, that, that good works are rewarded by God, which I think Scripture testifies to, um, the answer would have to be a yes, but I don't know exactly what that looks like, nor do I think that were we told. Yeah, so I, I uphold a martyr's death. Like, I, that is a category, right? Yeah, of Where course. you can resist yeah. to the point of shedding blood, yeah. death, yeah, yeah. all of those yeah. things. But I also think in Revelation 4.10, and we have talked about this before, it may have been on this podcast, that I think there is a an opportunity not to get so narrow in the Revelation 4.10 where the saints cry out, how long, O oh Lord, until you avenge our oh, you're blood? You're talking about six. You're talking about six. Is it 6.10? Yeah, you said four. Sorry, I was just Yeah, read sure. that first little opening. O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Yeah, so I've always said that any death of any saint, even if it's not at the hands of an enemy, right, mm-hmm. to, be mar- to be martyred, yeah. that any death of a saint is an unjust ex- execution. Because, because someone has already physically died in our place. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, I, so I, I, oh, how yeah. long, O oh Lord, right, yeah. is a collective cry of the church entering into his thanksgiving with praise, but yet knowing that we long to be there at the consummation of the kingdom. That's kind of how yeah. I look through that some through that lens. Yeah, I think, I mean, as a general rule, I think that that's, I think that's pretty defensible, right? That, that the death of any, like one of the reasons that death is strange, and I think Jesus, Jesus speaks to this, right? So in Revelation... God, you got revelation. Um, in John in John 11, when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, he says in 25, I am the resurrection and life, which going on, who, who, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Right? Mm-hmm. And so he's speaking there, obviously, of both a physical death and a spiritual death. Right, so the physical death, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. He's saying the physical death, though he has bodily died, yet shall he live. And in a spiritual sense, everyone who lives, everyone who has believed on the resurrection and life, 
um, and believes in him and believes in me shall never die. Meaning there's never mm-hmm. a death for the spirit of a Christian. There's, it's just, it's just not a thing. A bodily death, there certainly is. But the question is, is a bodily death for a Christian a just death? And I, and I want to, even if this doesn't fit into the category that we're speaking of, I think this is a really helpful thought that, that even our bodily death, I would almost say, especially our bodily death has been paid for through the finished mm-hmm. work of Christ, mm-hmm. right? The reason we uphold the body, like the, a, a, a true God, true man, the reason we uphold that Jesus, um, that he was, that he was crucified in the flesh, that he was buried and that he was raised a bodily resurrection is because where, where he goes, we go. Right. So when, when, when he was crucified, all the, all the saints, all their sins were laid upon him, right? Our sins were nailed to the tree. He is truly our substitute. When he dies, it's the death of our sin. Mm. And when he's raised, we raise with him. This is Romans 6. That's right. And so. Because he says the last enemy to be placed under his foot is death. Right. Because we long to say death, where is your sting? Exactly. Yeah. And so I think regardless, I think we say that enemy's still there, but that enemy, can, that in, that enemy comes at us knowing it can't keep us, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So like, it's going to come, we're going to draw our last breath, but, but, but truly our physical death that, that is fruit of sin, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. has already been paid for. Mm-hmm. And thus our death, I, I think we can safely say, is, mm-hmm. is an unjust death that, 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 Will be rectified, mm-hmm. right? It will so be avenged. It will be, yeah. And and to you know, it's like it's like, hey, you got that last blow in. It wasn't real, right? Right. You're gonna raise right. the spirit lives the whole time anyway, mm-hmm. and we're gonna raise the body, and we are going to see it. I mean, somebody made an argument the other day that I thought was really beautiful. And even though, even if it isn't the centerpiece i think it is a centerpiece if that makes sense if it's mm-hmm. not the par excellence centerpiece it is certainly around the table which is part of the marriage supper of the lamb is that the the body and the soul of the christian that has been separated for however long mm-hmm. will be wet again never to be broken mm-hmm. that's good shout out i don't remember who said it i feel bad but it was quote Lawson Harlow. No, no. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. Yeah, Michael Scott, Wayne Gretzky, <laughs> right. Lawson Harlow. I really, I'm trying to remember who said that because it was so helpful. I mean, it, it, even if it wasn't, it's just a really. So it's a I really can't remember Bible picture. verses, and you can't remember quotes. Yeah, so no joke. this is that. Um, All right. So uh, the author of our notes moves us further on and says several additional key questions. How can dying be gain? Oh. That's easy. Through the loss of physical life, we gain what? Is this always the case? For the Christian, it's always the yeah. case. Yeah, so if I could recommend any sermon for anybody to ever read, it's um, St. Paul Strait, written or, or preached by Richard Sibbs. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the sermon is all about the gain of death. And it, is, it was a funeral sermon. And it, I, to this day, I will say that it, it's the best sermon I've ever read, and that's including a bunch of Spurgeon and mm-hmm. a lot of others. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's always gain, and we must always see it as gain. Mm-hmm. One of the great errors that I think the Christian, or maybe better yet, one of the great tests of where you are in your walk with the Lord is do you see death as gain? Mm-hmm. Because if you don't, um, then I think it might reveal that you have— you yeah, have Fear a, has to do with judgment. 
Well, I think not only that, I think, so it could be that I didn't even, I wasn't even thinking in that vein, but most certainly it could be that I, I would say that perhaps it is that your, your hand is grasped a bit oh, too yeah, tightly around the world. Yeah, yeah. You, you love everything that this world has. Mm-hmm. And some of those things are good. Like mm-hmm. the thought of leaving my wife and my child, that's heartbreaking. Right. I don't want to do that. But even, even if that's the cost, it's still game. Mm-hmm. It's still game. Mm-hmm. So uh, Revelation six eleven says, rest for a little while longer until the number of your fellow servants and your brethren who are to be killed, even as you have been, should be completed also. The only thing that gives me hesitation on going full sail into that mm-hmm. is that last phrase of being killed as you were. In the sense that I think martyrdom is a very, is, is mentioned specifically Yes, there. I do. I do, yeah. but I don't think it excludes death in general for the Christian. That's fair. You That's see fair. what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, like, because I do think, I mean, I do think I think every death for the Christian. Yeah, for the Christian yeah. falls into that category. An unjust death. Yeah, but yeah. martyrdom is one and who is serving who has been essentially would you say murdered by the enemy? Yeah. I yeah. mean that's a fair I guess Certainly. a fair way to do that. And and just to be clear, we're not saying that that we believe it's an unjust death in the sense that God is being unjust. Yeah, no, 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 no. We're saying all. we're saying the sin that brought about death has already been paid for. That's right. And yet the body still goes through that transition up right. until the point where the Lord returns yeah. and stomps it out forever. Yeah, and we would say that God is just in that because yeah. why does He tarry? Yeah, it's because of His patience. That's right. And there are more children. Yeah, to come into the family of God. So really we helpful wait patiently. To, yeah, really helpful way to look at that verse from Second Peter is um, not wishing that any would perish, but all would reach repentance. Mm-hmm. If you understand the way Peter writes to the church, he writes to the church essentially saying, "I'm writing to the elect exiles," which is helpful so that you understand that passage without impugning God. Right. Um. So. The question is, God has appointed men to be martyred, question mark, based on Revelation 6.11. Oh, yeah. And how does martyrdom grow the church? So, first, God has appointed men for everything that happens to them. Um, kind of going back to our will episode. But, so yes, and I, and I would actually say that that would go back to passages like Ephesians 2, that he has set out good works for them, and mm-hmm. that part of that good working would be their mm-hmm. martyrdom. To, to, if, if that rubs you the wrong way, um, just remember that he has set them up for, for I, I, again, going back to some of the things we've already mentioned, he set them up for reward. He's given them opportunity, and I say this sitting very comfortably in my air-conditioned room, um, but he's given them opportunity to demonstrate fidelity in ways that, that the majority of Christians won't have to. Mm. Um, and so, and also, you know, we, we've talked about this a number of times that, um, you know, even death for a Christian, um, Spurgeon once said, uh, blessed is the man who dies young for he gets so much less of earth and so much mm-hmm. more of heaven. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think of a couple of men, uh, I think of Spurgeon, frankly, I, th- I think of Adrian Rogers as well, mm-hmm. of men who the Lord took home early. Mm-hmm. And it's like, they got, they got more of heaven mm-hmm. and less of earth. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, all that to say, yes, I would say that they are appointed um, unto that. Mm-hmm. The same way, frankly, that anyone is appointed unto rest and comfort and ease, mm-hmm. but you know the the Lord appoints based upon His will, and He's smarter than us. And the apostles, by and large, all died. All but John, a horrid death, horrid death, martyr's death. Yeah, James, James being cast from the roof of the temple and then stoned. I mean, like you know, 
there's so I think to answer that question, I think sometimes for me, I'm searching outside of the canon. Yeah. And it's like here in the canon, I think, mm-hmm. where we find is. Well, I mean, he explicitly tells church? Peter. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They're going to lead you where you don't want to go. Mm. Um, I mean, he, he clearly warns Peter. Even even warns Peter while affirming mm-hmm. that John is not going to be. Mm. Um, and, you know, because, I mean, this is the whole conversation, right? Like, Lord, you're telling me he's going to get this? And he's mm-hmm. like, what, what does that matter to you? Mm-hmm. Um, and but, so, but we're glad benefactors. Absolutely. Right? Because yeah. it bolstered. It bolstered their witness. Oh, it bolstered their... Because you went from... Yeah. What's so exciting about yeah. it is you go from Peter denying, right? And yeah. the disciples scattering in the dark. Right. To him being... Re- Christ being resurrected. Mm-hmm. And then the and spirit it, coming. Yeah. And bro, they're, they're and totally it, and completely changed up into dying at the hand of the sword. Yeah. You know? And the lips of Peter preaching the Sermon of Pentecost, which is... Right. I mean, Yeah. So what was the other question there? Uh, how does martyrdom grow the church? I think we gave a good example there. Yeah. Should we desire this? And I think this is where sometimes like, okay. we move from the canon to history. Yeah. And we look for martyrdom in history. And I think it's a helpful category to study. Yeah. Uh, but then we look at it for ourselves. Like, should we desire martyrdom? To, to be martyred. Yeah. So first, um, I forget who said it. And I'm going to look it up just because I, I want to I be precise. Um, but... He says, if you read through the book six of church history, you will see Origen's desire to be martyred and ascetic lifestyle is the logical conclusion to martyrs receiving crowns. And I think he's quoting like why we shouldn't be shoeless hermits who reject all indulgences and essentially go headlong into this desire. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, I think this was was a great error of the early church, actually. Hmm. Um, There were things like pole martyrs, who would essentially set up a post and they would sit on top of the post until they were essentially weathered and killed. Um, and, and there were others who sought very heinous ways of death for mm-hmm. the sake of demonstrating their fidelity and mm-hmm. martyrdom. Um, I think that that's incredibly erroneous. I, I think erroneous. If, what do you mean? I think that's, I think that's a, an, an absolutely terrible desire, right? I think Paul tells us that we should desire to live a peaceable and quiet life. Yeah. We should not go forth seeking out martyrdom. If martyrdom finds us, then that's a whole different animal. Do you think it's in the vein of those who stand on the corner lifting holy hands to be seen, oh, I, their yeah. only blessing is the fact that yeah, they gloried yeah. in being seen. It's, it, yeah, I mean, I, I think to that's take really, something that's really so helpful. heinous and yeah. painful, yeah, and say, well, praying in public, yeah. lifting holy hands, seems to be uh, there's not a lot of cost I mean, in that. I mean, you take you take all that to fasting, right? Like the individual who right. walks down the road and says, "I'm fasting, I'm fasting, I'm right. fasting." What are you trying right. to do? You're trying to demonstrate your own righteousness, right? So, I mean, well, obviously, and that's your only reward. Yeah, that's what you get. Yeah. That you get, you get the public right. Hey, great. And so, the, you know, the issue is the real martyrs, and I'm, I'm, I am, I am excluding those who put themselves up on poles. Yeah, right? Fox's book. Yeah, so, so fair. Yeah, fair. Yeah. So like, that's where my reading went to die. Yeah. <laughs> so the real, so the real, the real martyrs, they, they wanted to live a peaceable and quiet life. Right. They wanted to honor the Lord, and they were prepared. To honor the Lord unto death, right? And if I were to give any, you know, any inclination, to death, yeah. death taken from, them, yeah, absolutely, from them, yes. yeah, because I think we all need to carry that thought around, yeah, right, yeah. yeah. And so, if someone comes to you and 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 says, you know, recant Christ or die, mm. there should be preparation to say, yeah, death for me, then, right? Right. right? And and I think we get into the 
when when we prepare ourselves for that, you know, I think I think there are a lot of people, and, and I'm gonna I'm gonna try to be gracious here. I think there are a lot of people who will say things like, "I am ready to die for Christ." Mm. Oddly enough, I think that that is most clearly demonstrated by do you live for him? Mm. Right? Like if you're going to tell me that you're going to die for Christ, but you can't, but you can't live in harmony with your wife at home, mm. then I'm going to have some questions for mm. you. Right. And I, and I think, I think the basic, again, going back to living a peaceable and quiet life, that should be the aim for the Christian. Mm-hmm. I want, I want to live in harmony with my wife. I want to live in harmony with my neighbors. I want to live in harmony with my church. And, and I even want to, as you know, I even preached on this, this past Lord's day that I want to be at peace with the world around me mm. so far as they'll let me. Mm. And, um, and that being an aim for us. But the moment that peace is taken, I'm, I'm prepared for what may come. Mm. And, you know, as we think about the ways that it bolsters the church, and I, and I think that's a, a helpful consideration in the midst of this, um, you, the way that you can help to bolster the church, I think is, is twofold. And, and Paul demonstrates this perfectly. Um, in, in Galatians, when he says, I'm torn between the two, right? It's better for me to be here and to benefit you. Mm. And if I'm here, and this is how we should think about it, if I'm here on the earth, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to serve Christ, I'm going to love the church, and I'm going to be an aid to her, mm. right? That I want to give myself over mm-hmm. so that she can be supported and, and, and cared for and nourished by, by my life, mm-hmm. right? As obviously those are empowered, those works are empowered by the Spirit of God. But the other is, but if I have to pick between this life and 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 Christ, mm. this isn't this is not even a question. Mm-hmm. It's better for me to depart and to be with Christ. Mm-hmm. And so, being resolved to, and I, I really think this is true. Being resolved to say it's better for me to depart and to be with Christ. That mentality, I think, mobilizes and animates you. To as you are here, you are giving yourself up to his service. Mm. And, and, you know, sometimes we divorce these things. There's a, there's a guy, um, I, I don't know who said this. I'm, I'm full of quotes and don't have any citations um, that don't be so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good. Mm. That is the stupidest statement that has mm. ever been uttered, except for uh, always preach the gospel and sometimes use words. Um, <laughs> but in the midst of that, like, no, no, no. Being heavenly minded, aiming to honor Christ, and even then, let's go further and say, and to pursue heavenly reward, mm-hmm. right, animates you uniquely here. Mm-hmm. It says, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not, I'm not living for the for the extra dollar. I'm not living for the little bit of more comfort I might have. Mm-hmm. And because your your treasure is being stored up in heaven, you labor for that which which moth and rust cannot touch, mm-hmm. nor can thieves come and steal. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's the way that I think about, um, about martyrdom, living the Christian life, aiming for reward. And the prize and the crown. And the prize and the crown. I want that above everything else. Mm-hmm. And, we should, and we should live our lives in such a way that mm-hmm. says, I want that and everything else. And even going back to 1 Corinthians 3, I don't want to, to come out just me, mm. right? I want some of the works that I have done here below mm. to make it through that refining fire. Mm-hmm. So that, and, and look, if nothing else, if nothing else in regard to reward, so that you can say, uh, 
this is done unto Christ, mm. right? I have served well, him. So that I've, you'll hear the words. Yeah. Well done. Well done, my good and faithful. You should labor for those words. Yeah. I mean, you you rest knowing they're coming to you based upon Christ's righteousness, mm-hmm. but man, mm-hmm. I, I do want to be mm. a good and faithful servant here mm-hmm. below. Mm. And if and if and because I don't know the actual here's here are the rewards mentioned, I that's fine. I, I don't I don't need any more, but I do want to honor him in such a way that those words are uttered first, first and foremost, based upon Christ's works. Bro, so crazy. What? Matthew 25, 23 is the verse. And we just missed it. His master <clears throat> said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you oh, over that's right, much. That's right, that's right. Enter into the joy of your master. Yeah. Yep. So I'd like to thank my fellow <laughs> elder, Lawson Harlow, and we miss you, Blake McCullough. Well, what do you that want was to the end with it? That was I know, well, I'm just signing off. What do we got to say? I don't know. Let's hang up now. So, fella, come back, Blake. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. My brother and my friend, Godspeed. Bye, guys. <laughs> all right, well, you had to delete all that. That was awful, bro. I miss Blake. We should call him. He's at Meet the Teachers. He's at Meet the Teacher? Yep. Yeah, Blake. I'm sorry. I'm sure he'll do well with that. He presents well. He projects well, too.